0: Philosophy of Furniture eighteen forty by Edgar Allan Poe. <clears throat> in the internal decoration, if not in the external architecture of their residences, the English are supreme. The Italians have little sentiment beyond marbles and colours in France. Maliora Probent Deteriora Sequin. The people are too much a race of godabouts to maintain those household properties of which, indeed, they have delicate appreciation, or at least the elements of a proper sense. The Chinese and most of the Eastern races have a warm but inappropriate fancy. The Scotch are poor decorists. The Dutch have, perhaps, an indeterminate idea that a curtain is not a cabbage. In Spain, they are all curtains, a nation of hangmen the Russians do not furnish. The Hottentots and Kickapoos are very well in their way. The Yankees alone are preposterous. How this happens, it is not difficult to see. We have no aristocracy or blood. And having, therefore, as a natural and indeed as an inevitable thing fashioned for ourselves an aristocracy of dollars, the displays of wealth, has here to take the place and perform the scotch, the office of the heraldic display of monarchical countries. By a transition readily understood, and which might have been as readily foreseen, we have been brought to merge in simple show our notions of taste itself. To speak less abstractly, in England for example, no mere parade of costly appurtenances would be so likely as with us, to create an impression of the beautiful in respect to the opportunists themselves, or of taste as regards to the proprietor. This for the reason first, that wealth is not in England the loftiest object of ambition as constituting a nobility, and secondly, that there the true nobility of blood, confining itself within the strict limits of legitimate taste, rather avoids than affects the mere costliness in which a parvenu rivalry may at any time be successfully attempted. The people will imitate the nobles. And the result is a thorough diffusion of the proper feeling, but in America, the coins current being the sole arms of the aristocracy, their display may be said in general to be the sole means of the aristocratic distinctions and the populace looking always upward for models are insensibly led to confound the two entirely separate ideas of magnificence and beauty in short the cost of an article of furniture has at length come to be with us nearly the sole test of its merit in a decorative point of view and this test once established has led the way to many analogous errors ready and traceable to the one primitive folly there could be nothing more different sorry nothing more directly offensive to the eye of an artist than the interior of what is termed to be the United States. That is to say, in Appalachia, a well-furnished apartment, its most unusual defect is a want of keeping. We speak of the keeping of a room as we would of the keeping of a picture, for both the picture and the room are amenable to those Undeviating principles which regulate all varieties of art, and very nearly the same laws by which we decide on the higher merits of a painting suffice for the decision on the adjustment of a chamber. A want of keeping is observable sometimes in the character of the several pieces of furniture, but generally in their colors or modes of adaptation, To use very often, the eye is offended by the inartistic arrangement. Straight lines are too prevalent, too uninterruptedly continued, or clumsily interrupted at right angles. If curved lines occur, they are repeated unto unpleasant uniformity. By undue precision, the appearance of many a fine apartment is utterly spoiled. Curtains are rarely well disposed or well chosen in respect to other decorations. With formal furniture, curtains are out of place, and an extensive volume of drapery of any kind is, under any circumstances, irreconcilable with good taste. The proper quantum as well as the proper adjustment depending upon the character of the general effect. Carpets are better understood of late than of ancient days, but we still very frequently err in their patterns and colors. The soul of the apartment is a carpet. From it are deduced not only the hues, but the forms of all objects incumbent. A judge at common law may be an ordinary man. A good judge of a carpet must be a genius. Yet we have heard discoursing of carpets within the air de mountain we review, fellows who should not and who could not be entrusted with the management of their own moustaches. Everyone knows that a large floor may have a covering of large figures, and that a small one must have a covering of small. Yet this is not all the knowledge in the world. As regards to texture, the Saxony is alone admissible. Brussels is the preter pluperfect tense of fashion, and Turkey is taste in its dying agonies. Touching pattern, a carpet should not be bedizened out of a rickery Indian. All red chalk, yellow okra, and cocks feathers in brief distinct grounds and vivid circular or cycloid figures of no meaning are here, median laws. The abomination of flowers or representation of well-known objects of any kind should not be endured within the limits of Christendom. Indeed, whether on carpets or curtains or tapestry or Ottoman coverings, all upholstery of this nature should be rigidly Arabesque. As for those antique floor cloths, and still occasionally seen in the dwellings of the rabble, cloths of huge, sprawling, and radiating devices, stripe interspersed, and glorious with all hues among which no ground is intelligible, these are but the wicked inventions of a race of time servers and money lovers, children of Baal and worshippers of Mammon. Bentham's who, to spare thought and economize fancy, first cruelly invented the kaleidoscope and then established joint stock companies to twirl it by steam. Glare is a leading error in the philosophy of American household decoration, an error easily recognized as deduced from the perversion of taste just specified. We are violently enamored of gas and glass. The former is totally inadmissible within doors. It's harsh and unsteady light offends. No one having both brains and eyes will use it. A mild, or what artists term a cool light, with its consequent warm shadows, will do wonders for even an ill-furnished apartment. Never was a more lovely thought than that of an astral lamp. We mean, of course, the astral lamp proper, the lamp of argand with its original plain ground glass shade and its tempered and uniform moonlight rays. The cut glass shade is a weak invention of the enemy. The eagerness with which end of glass the former is totally inadmissible. We have adopted it partly on account of its flashiness, but principally on account of its greater rest is a good commentary on the proposition with which we began. It is not too much to say that the deliberate employer of a cut-glass shade is either radically deficient in taste or blindly subservient to the capricious of fashion. The light proceeding from one of these gaudy abominations is unequal, broken and painful." It alone is sufficient to mar a world of good effect in the furniture subjected to its influence. Female loveliness, in especial, is more than one half disenchanted beneath its evil eye. In the matter of glass, generally, we proceed upon false principles. Its leading feature is glitter, and in that one word, how much of all of that is detestable do we express flickering unquiet lights are sometimes pleasing to children and idiots always so but in the embellishment of a room they should be scrupulously avoided in truth even strong steady lights are inadmissible The huge and unmeaning glass chandeliers, prism cut, gas lighted, and without shade, which dangle in our most fashionable drawing rooms may be cited as the quintessential of all that is false in taste or preposterous in folly. The rage for glitter because its idea has become, as we before observed, confounded with that of magnificent in the abstract has led us also to the exaggerated employment of mirrors we line our dwellings with great british plates and then imagine we have done a fine thing now the slightest thought will be sufficient to convince anyone who has an eye at all of the ill effect of numerous looking glasses and especially of large ones regarded apart from its reflection the mirror presents a continuous flat colourless unrelieved surface a thing always and obliviously unpleasant considered as a reflector it is potent in producing a monstrous and odious uniformity and the evil is here aggravated not in merely direct proportion with the augmentation of its sources but in a ratio constantly increasing in fact a room with four or five mirrors arranged at random is, for all purposes of artistic show, a room of no shape at all. If we add to this evil the attendant glitter upon glitter, we have a perfect farrago of discordant and displeasing effects. The veriest bumpkin on entering an apartment so bedismant would be literally aware of something wrong. Although he might be altogether unable to assign a cause for this dissatisfaction, but let the same person be led into a room tastefully furnished, and he would be startled to an exclamation of pleasure and surprise. It is an evil growing out of our republication of institutions that here a man of large purse has usually a very little soul, he keeps in it. The corruption of taste is a portion of a pendant of the dollar manufacturer. As we grow rich, our ideas grow rusty. It is therefore not among our aristocracy that we must look at, if at all, in Appalachia for the spiritually of a British boudoir. But we have seen apartments in the tenor of Americans of modern, possibly modest or moderate means, which, in negative merit, at least, might vie with any of the or maloud cabinets of our friends across the water. Even now, there is present to our mind's eye a small and not ostentatious chamber with whom decorations no fault can be found. The proprietor lies asleep on the sofa and the weather is cool. The time is next midnight and we will make a sketch of the room during his slumber. It is oblong, some 30 feet in length and 25 in breadth, a shape affording the best ordinary opportunities for the adjustment of furniture it has but one door by no means a wide one which is at one end of the parallelogram but two windows which are at the other these latter are large reaching down to the floor have deep recesses and open on an italian veranda their panes are of a crimson tinted glass set in rosewood framings more massive than usual they are curtained within the recess by thick silver tissue adapted to the shape of the window and hanging loosely in small volumes. Without the recesses are curtains of an exceedingly rich crimson silk fringed with a deep network of gold and lined with silver tissue, which is the matrial of the exterior blind there are no cornices but the folds of the whole fabric which are sharp rather than massive and have an airy appearance issue from beneath a broad entabulature of rich gilt work which encircles the room at the junction of the ceiling and walls the drapery is thrown open also or closed by means of a thick rope or gold loosely enveloping it and resolving itself readily into a knot no pins or other such devices are apparent. The colors of the curtains and their fringe, the tints of crimsons and gold, appear everywhere in profusion and determine the character of the room. The carpet of Saxony material is quite half an inch thick and is of the same crimson ground, relieved simply by the appearance of a gold cord, like that festooning from the curtains. Slightly relieved above the surface of the ground, and thrown upon it in such a manner as to form a succession of short irregular curves one occasionally overlaying the other the walls are prepared with a glossy paper of silver gray tint spotted with the small arabesque devices of a fainter hue of the prevalent crimson many paintings relieve the expanse of paper There are chiefly landscapes of an imaginative cast, such as the fairy grottos of Stanfield or the lake of the dismal swamp of Chapman. There are, nevertheless, three or four female heads of ethereal beauty portraits in the manner of Sully. The tone of each picture is warm but dark. There are no brilliant effects. Repose speaks in all. Not one is of small size. Diminutive paintings give that spotty look to a room which is the blemish of so many fine works of art overtouched. The frames are broad but not deep and richly carved without being dulled or filigreed. They have the whole luster of the burnished gold and they lie flat on the walls do not hang off with cords. The designs themselves are often seen to better advantage in this latter position, but the general appearance of the chamber is injured. But one mirror, and this not a very large one, is visible in shape, and it is nearly circular, and it is hung so that a reflection of the person can be obtained from it in in none of the ordinary sitting places of the room. Two large low sofas of rosewood and crimson silk, gold-flowered, form the only seats, with the exception of two light conversation chairs, also of rosewood. There is a pianoforte rosewood also, without cover, and thrown open. An octagonal table formed altogether of the richest gold-threaded marble is placed near one of the sofas. This is also without cover, the drapery of the curtains has been thought sufficient. Four large and gorgeous Sevres vases, in which bloom and profusion of sweet and vivid flowers, occupy the slightly rounded angles of the room. A tall candelabrum bearing a small antique lamp with highly perfumed oil is standing near the head of my sleeping friend. Some light and graceful hanging shelves with golden edges and crimson silk cords with gold tassels sustain two or three hundred magnificently bound books. Beyond these things, there is no furniture. If we accept an arrogant lamp with a plain crimson tinted ground glass shade, which depends from a lofty vaulted ceiling by a single slender gold chain and throws a tranquil but magical radiance, overall.